Support for AHLA comes from Major Lindsay in Africa, the global leader in legal executive search. For nearly 40 years, they have helped health organizations, nonprofits, fortune-listed companies, and government agencies build strong, talented legal teams. For more information, visit mlaglobal.com. So, so excited to be here today. Um, I'm Heather Fine, a partner in our Chicago office of Major Lindsay in Africa. And I am here with Dan Lantry and Earl Barnes, and I am going to have them introduce themselves if they don't mind. So Dan, do you mind just taking a minute or two and telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure, happy to. And thanks again to Major Lindsay in Africa and to AHLA for having us. Um, we'll do our best not to disappoint. <laughs> uh, I'm Dan Lantry. I am the Vice President of Legal Affairs for North America for Sonova the Sonova uh, group companies in operating in North America. So specifically, we provide uh, hearing instruments, hearing aids, um, audiological care services, and through a separate division, um, cochlear implants. Um, and uh, I've been at uh, Sonova since May of this year. Uh, I've been in healthcare almost all of my legal career, starting with large law firms in Southern California and various life sciences, healthcare services, and uh, provider and health plans as well. So I've kind of, I've seen it all. So thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm really excited to, to talk to Earl. Uh, hello, thanks so much uh, for sponsoring and hosting this. Uh, looking very forward to the, uh, the conversation. I think it should be very, very interesting. Uh, I'm uh, Earl Barnes. I'm the executive vice president and chief legal officer of Amita Health. Uh, we're a healthcare system based here in Illinois uh, with 19 hospitals, um, a number of uh, uh, outpatient uh, sites and centers uh, where we provide services, uh, behavioral health centers. I've um, been with the organization for just over two years now, and prior to joining Amita Health, uh, have served as the, the chief legal officer for a number of other uh, healthcare systems in uh, both uh, Illinois and Ohio. And uh, as I indicated, really looking forward to the, uh, the dialogue today. Excellent. Well, I'm so thrilled to be moderating this podcast with two people who are just fantastic and stars in the, the legal community here and also the healthcare community generally. So thank you both for taking the time. Um, so I'm going to dive right in, um, you know, because I know we have a, a number of things we want to chat about. And these are going to be broad questions, but I have no doubt we'll go in some different directions. And I think Earl, maybe we'll, we'll start with you on this question. And I know Dan, I'll chime in as well, but talk a little bit about the current market in your area, kind of what's happening, where are things headed? I mean, obviously you just described Amita and what you're doing. So I think we'd, we'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, you know, I think it's a very dynamic market. I mean, Illinois is a, is a big market. Uh, we were blessed with uh, a very large number of academic medical centers, community-based uh, health healthcare centers. Um, and, and healthcare really is a bit of a hub here in this in this part of the country and in this state in particular. Um, you know, there, there are just there are a lot of things facing healthcare today, and I think some things are, are going to be tied to this market, and some things are going to be more national. But um, um, you know, when I'm describing our market, clearly, you know, I talk about the number of hospitals that are present. Uh, we have a, a very large number of federally qualified healthcare centers located here. Um, we have what I would view as a dominant payer within this market, and that's Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, I, I feel as if this market has been slow overall to adopt uh, value-based care. Um, so I think that'll become part of our, our discussion as we move forward. 
uh, we have a, a large number of, uh, of private equity entrants um, that have joined us over the years, um, mainly on the physician side of the house, but also on the technology side of the house. And so, you know, for people that are at not-for-profit healthcare systems like me, uh, you know, those are opportunities uh, for collaboration and partnership. And, you know, I think uh, the only other component I'll mention right now in the market that, that's something that, that is going to be need to be dealt with as, as you know, time goes on is the uh, medical malpractice environment. And, um, you know, we in, here in Illinois uh, really don't enjoy any type of uh, uh, liability caps uh, for medical malpractice um, lawsuits. And so, you know, I think that if you were to talk to uh, many of the uh, uh, my colleagues and competitors in this market, they would say uh, that is starting to have a very real impact on dollars available to provide services uh, within this market. Good, good. All right, Dan, what about what about you? You'll probably tag on to that a little bit, but also, you know, you're in a little bit of a different, at least now, type of environment. So, so curious your thoughts on this question. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think Earl uh, named a number of, of uh, things from a provider side that are absolutely compelling. Um, from more of the manufacturer life sciences perspective, um, and I think we're going to get into this a little bit more, um, you know, I think there's just a, a general consumerization of healthcare that is uh, driving a lot of what we're seeing here, both in terms of the development of new technologies, uh, who is actually providing the good or the service, um, you know, Earl mentioned value-based reimbursement. That's a huge driver in, in, in both the federal programs, state programs, and, and private pay, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, you know, third-party payers. And we're going to continue to see that uh, even adoption by <laughs> those who have been perhaps slower or more reluctant to adopt uh, value-based reimbursement. Um, you know, we've got some real disruptive players in the market now with, with private equity, who's, you know, been in for, for quite a long time. Uh, and, and the technology, you know, all the big tech companies um, have substantial uh, healthcare practices and focus areas now. So I think between <clears throat> that general consumerization of healthcare, the, the blurring of lines between what is a medical device and what is not a medical device, um, just in my own space in, in hearing instruments, we've got uh, pending regulations now that are uh, in the review and comment period, uh, FDA was uh, uh, instructed under 2017 law to develop regulations for over-the-counter hearing aids. Um, you know, and the theory is that people should be able to have more control over their own healthcare and, and how that gets delivered. Um, you know, and that that whole concept really under uh, underpins the 21st Century Cures Act, which made some pretty significant changes in terms of how uh, patient information is shared, uh, information, you know, obligations by providers not to block information uh, with, with patients or their designees, which creates issues, I think, under, under HIPAA. Um, and, and so there's just a lot going on in this, in this space, which makes it dynamic, interesting, and, and obviously extremely competitive for, for the players in, in this space. Good, good. Okay, so you both touched on this. Well, there's, I have two questions, but this consumerization, the commercialization of healthcare, right? We, we talked about this, you both have touched on it as, as something that's important. I guess maybe, what is it? How is it impacting healthcare, right? For, for those of us, well, you're talking to a, a group of healthcare lawyers, but 
talk a little bit more about how it is impacting um, what you're doing in healthcare overall. And I guess maybe, Dan, maybe you can start us out there and, and I'm sure you and Earl will have some back and forth on that. Sure, I'll try to round out my thoughts a little bit more on that. So I think we've seen dramatic changes in the way the FDA operates um, over the last you know, five to 10 years, I'll say particularly with respect to medical devices and software. There's now a, a concept of software as a medical device. Uh, FDA, I think, really struggled with how to deal with, with software in, in years past. And um, there's been quite uh, an accelerated focus on that. Um, so, um, so that's just one example. I think another area is um, uh, you know, just the blurring of, of technology players and, uh, and traditional medical device players and and how they have uh, um, you know they're part they're they're very much on the same spectrum of consumers that they're trying to to provide services to, but under very different rules, right? One is specifically uh, regulated by the FDA. Uh, another, maybe, right? It depends on what they're doing and how they're how they're trying to do it. So um, I'll stop there, Earl. I'm sure you have some thoughts. Well, no, and I you know I think uh, you know we could literally have a session just on this. I mean, we, we've talked over the years about patient centered care. And, um, you know, I think, I think, so some years ago we started viewing the patient as a, in some cases as a consumer and, and if it's patient centered and the patient is the consumer, you know, how best can you provide services to that patient and or consumer in a way that, uh, you know, is, is good for the patient, but, but also good for the uh, health system and their healthcare providers bottom line. And, you know, I, I think uh, as Dan has touched on technology has been um, uh, a big mover and certainly during the pandemic, uh, being able to access some of the technology that was already out there, but quite frankly, to be able to bring it online and provide telehealth services. Um, you know, I, I think it's caused us to kind of revisit how we, we go about delivering good care. Um, you know, I think using uh, some of the other electronic uh, media that are available uh, to put in homes to measure blood pressure um, and other more basic um, kind of uh, uh, you know functions, I, I think has has been helpful in order for uh, healthcare systems to monitor how you're doing real time versus seeing you once a month or every two months or if you're lucky in some cases uh, once a year. I know my doctor uh, loves to get after me. Uh, he'd love to see me more than once a year, but he gets to see me once a year. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm healthy. Um, but it's, you know, I just think that it, it's a it's a thought, it's a mindset um, that has gone into much of what we're doing these days in the marketplace is what's good for the consumer. Um, I, I don't know that we've lived to our promise just yet on that. And I think that's something that that is continues to be deserving of, of discussion, because I think with all those market entrants that we just talked about, you know, everybody has a, a, what they view as a better model for how to provide this care. And I think right now, you know, if you would ask me where we're at, you know, we're probably in the middle in terms of our overall, um, you know, involvement into having something that's truly a, a model and a system for uh, patient-centric or consumer-centric care. Uh, just because, again, I don't think we figured it out yet. Um, I, I think that we are, are you know, we still, you know, we say that our our uh, EMRs or EHRs are all interoperable and you can share data across uh, all of them. And the answer to that is that's not really true and you can't. And so, you know, we, we need to continue to work to get there. 
Um, I think just in the interest of competition, many systems are working to build out their own product um, and their own service lines, but those don't necessarily work uh, when you go to the competitor for a service. And so um, we just, we have to continue to think about if we're, if we're truly going to be patient centric and consumer centric, we're going to have to think about, you know, making that better um, and being able to provide more of that real-time data to whatever caregiver you might present at as patient. Earl, I'd love to pick up on that because, you know, one of my concerns in, in this whole area with respect to the 21st Century Cures Act, you know, you mentioned uh, EHRs. I mean, that was really the basis for the information blocking uh, rule because, you know, the companies weren't playing uh, very nicely with each other and really not uh, living up to the promise of the $20 billion that was spent. Um, it, you know, I, I do have real concerns about consumers um, really not understanding all the power and control they have over their own um information, their own records, then their own decision-making. So whether it being uh, clicking the I accept button when they upload a health app and, and basically agreeing that that developer, that health, that health app is gonna have unfettered access to their health information without it being protected by HIPAA. I, I doubt people understand that. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, in terms of the notion that people are gonna be somehow better equipped to make decisions about what hearing aids they get without, you know, having the advice of a of an audiologist, for example. Maybe uh, I, I just don't know. I, I I think that there's a lot of areas where consumers, unfortunately, and patients can um, get shortchanged, uh, get manipulated, uh, simply because of of lack of access or lack of awareness of of you know all the different variables that really need to be taken into account when they're making these kinds of decisions. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, we all have a tendency to see things through obviously our, our own lens. And, uh, you know, for me, protecting my, my health information and, and data is, is critically important. And I don't, want, I don't want it floating around. And I really do care. Um, if you were to ask my, you know, 20-year-old son about that or my 17-year-old my daughter, uh, they would likely have a different view. And, and so it's, it's interesting as we continue to talk about what the future will hold and the model that we're going to build, you know, I just, I wonder whether those same protections that Dan, you and I are kind of pushing and need and feeling like we have to have in place and whether, whether folks are even going to care about that um, as time goes on. And so I, I, I don't know the answer, but I, I do know that, that whatever information is available um, it needs to be accurate. Um, it needs to, there needs to be a means for analyzing the information. I, I really don't feel like sometimes providing people with their test data, um, you know, a layperson has no idea how to read that information and just saying, well, I provided it to them really isn't enough. And so, you know, we've got to continue to think about, you know, if I'm giving somebody data or set of data, I'm giving them things that they can they can transport um, uh, that, that, that's portable, you know, who's going to be reading that? Who's going to be helping them understand it? Who's going to be providing the type of, um, you know, I guess, foundational information that they need in order to make the next good decision about their healthcare. And I'm still, I'm still waiting for that model. And I mean, I, I obviously participate in the system that, that's working to try to try and improve that overall, but it just seems to be moving at a really glacial pace, quite frankly. Yeah, it would be great if there was some sort of third-party honest broker, right? That we could all yes. agree, like, okay, this is the storehouse of all 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 the accurate information that's yes. out there. 
a third party who's completely disinterested in your your dollars, um, et cetera. But <laughs> I don't think any of us have that that silver bullet. Not not yet, not yet. But you know, we're, I'm still going to hold out hope, being the optimist that I am. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, I recently, a couple months ago, I had some, everything's fine. I had some tests, and I literally got an email with the test results. They were twenty. It was it. And I was like, I have no idea what this is. And of course you're like, wait a minute, is something wrong? Like, how do I know if this is right? And I actually, then when I finally saw the doctor in person, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, well, please don't send me test results without helping me understand because it's, it's a, you know, and, and maybe that's just me being naive and not knowing how to read things. But I'm like, I don't think they really expect me to read these and understand them, you know? And she's like, I'm so sorry, but that's, that's just how the system works. They send out the test results. I'm like, I know, but like, that's scary, you know? So anyway, and, and this, these were minor, right? I can't imagine when it's much, much larger. So, so anyway, well, the, again, we could talk about this. That is for sure for a long, long period of time. Let's shift a little bit. And, and Earl, I think um, maybe starting with you on, on this, because you've had some experience with it. You served as GC of a number of um, large health systems, you know, and there's certainly been some changes. And I, I guess, Kind of wondering why why are these changes are we going to continue to see this consolidation you know what do we see in the future as it relates to to the healthcare consolidation if that's if that's the right way to refer to it no well thank you and you know it's interesting because we, we were talking about so many other things we really didn't talk as much about you know kind of the trend of uh, that we're seeing around the country of places continuing to try and get bigger and bigger and bigger um and you know certainly several of the places i've worked uh, with or for over the years um have you know, certainly been in search of getting bigger. And um, some have tried to get bigger within their immediate market. Others have looked um, external of their market and moved across state lines to, to get bigger. But, you know, again, the thinking being that the size is it, size will matter as time goes on. And uh, size allows for some synergies that um, might not otherwise exist. I, I, I'm still waiting for someone to prove that out. And so I'm sure, you know, there's going to continue to be that, that analysis. I, I also think that, you know, in the case, for instance, of my company, you're seeing some places that have decided, hey, you know, we thought that maybe size was the way to go and we wanted to get, you know, have a have a position in the market and be able to function as a, uh, a unified healthcare system. But I, I think that, you know, there was an announcement not too long ago that, that Amita Health um, was going to uh, dissolve as, an, as a management entity. And so, you know, what will remain in this market is the Ascension facilities and under Ascension Chicago and um, the Advent facilities under under Advent Health uh, Chicago and so you know again same same type of over you know overall footprint if you count the overall number but now you know operating in very distinct ways um, with with new management so you know I I think that I think that where we sit today is there's still that mindset that that you know you you do need to be bigger in order to provide better services and in order to achieve the synergies. I'm, again, I'm not certain that that's the right thought process. Um, I think when you take it back to the patient-centered uh, viewpoint and you're asking yourself, is this really what's, what's helping the patient and, and the consumer, so to speak? Um, I, I think that there are many times that you know you're, these systems have gotten big and they're not able to really show that they've made an impactful change in the lives of any of their patients. Uh, and so if you can't show that um, and you can't prove it out that way, you have to start to ask yourself, well, then what's the reason why you're doing these deals? And, and I always say the reason that you do the deals can't be 
you know, just to say that you're big or just to benefit, um, you know, your, your executives that work within the company. It, again, it really does have to be for the benefit of the community and the patients that you're serving. But I do think as time goes on, we're going to continue to see some of this movement because I, I think people want to, they want to prove that they, they want to be able to prove that this model works of getting bigger um, and having the, you know, these very vast systems that can gather a ton of data, measure that data and come up with, uh, you know, modified treatment protocols. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think the thinking really is we can help uh, the patient, but I, you know, I think the verdict's still out on whether that's true or not. So I'm, I'm saying that for now, You'll see that continued growth. You'll see that every now and then some of the the, um, the big affiliations that have taken place, uh, you might see some breakups there. Uh, you know, I spent many years at a law firm uh, doing deals and I used to, you know, always know that we'd put them together, but you, you could look five, six, seven years from now. And, and, and in some cases you help take them apart again. And so, you know, we, we do operate in this world in cycles. Uh, some of them are deeper than others. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds. You know, Earl, with respect to size and, and whatnot, I mean, wouldn't you agree that it's not just size for the sake of size, but, but size for the ability to, you know, to, to get scale where it matters, right? And to be able to innovate and invest in the areas that will make an incremental difference, not only in, most importantly, in the lives of, of patients, but also just, you know, helping systems, uh, you know, operate more effectively. I mean, there's a lot of square footage, right, in, in acute and in, in fairly acute settings that, you know, those systems are, are going to have to struggle to figure out what they're going to do with that space, right, as value, value-based value care, you know, continues mm-hmm. to advance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it seems to me that systems that are larger will be able to figure out how to be more nimble when it comes to patient scheduling and, and where best to integrate telehealth in the you know, in the suite of services and, and ways in which they deliver care. So I, I yeah, I, like you, I'm, <laughs> I think the jury's out, but I also think that um, I, I think I understand why organizations are trying to get larger because I think if they're smart about it, they would focus on those areas where they can really move the needle and really differentiate themselves from their competitors. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with that. I think that that if if those are if those in fact are the motives, um, you know, we just need to prove that out. And I mean, and yes, there are there are some synergies that can be had from size. I I will say though that there there are also some things that occur. The bigger you are, um, you know, the, the less likely you are to be as in tune with your particular community um, and or marketplace. And you have a tendency then to just decide that one size, quite frankly, fits all across the country. And, you know, I think that, I think that medicine is, um, a little more precise than that. And so I, I think that that can, uh, lead you astray at times in terms of what you're actually providing to the, to the end consumer. Um, but you know, the trend is going to continue. I mean, and, and I think, I think the nice thing is, um, it may not just be the trend in continuing in terms of just large health systems continuing to emerge to get larger. I mean, I think you might start to see um, as you're trying to build out that continuum of care, uh, you might start to see some mergers of, of other care providers and, and, you know, and, and the health system will either be a part of that. They'll either lead it through, through their mergers or they'll be part of a much bigger um, continuum of care that will be put in place in various communities. And we'll, and again, we'll just have to see whether we can make that work 
the way that it needs to work in the, in a cost-effective fashion. But uh, um, there's just a lot of hard work that needs to go into that. And the, the, you mentioned nimble, and I love that term because I, I think that it's so critical in healthcare, particularly in this day and age. And you know, you've seen examples of some very large systems that are just incredible and, and are able to make moves that they need to make. Um, many took great advantage of the, the pandemic, quite frankly, they were there to care for their patients in a way that they needed to be cared for. But they were also there in a way that they, that they were able to make some of the market moves that they needed to make to get even larger um, because they were able to take advantage of the fact that, you know, quite frankly, some of the smaller systems realized that they couldn't suddenly get some of the PPE that they needed um, for their uh, for their folks. And uh, they, they didn't have enough cash in the bank, so to speak, to withstand some of the, uh, the downturn in, in revenue for acute care, the, in the acute care setting. And so, you know, they were then, then you have these, these smaller systems that are suddenly looking for a larger parent that has a greater financial wherewithal to support. Um, and so, you know, again, great examples of some larger systems really having their act together, being able to take advantage of the scenario that was presented to them. And quite frankly, doing it in a way that, that we all hope in the long run should benefit the patient. All right. So we can't have this conversation with, of course, not talking about the pandemic, right? So one that we are, are clearly not quite out of yet, um, and who knows if we will be. And I guess my question around this is, you know, um, what is the pandemic recovery, but we're not, I don't know exactly what we call it that, look like for, for healthcare? And then I, I guess also just as remote work here to stay. I mean, I, I just, I guess I'm looking for the impact on the pandemic on healthcare, which is such a broad question. Another thing we could talk about for the rest of the afternoon, but, you know, high level and, and Dan, I guess maybe we can kind of start with you on what you're seeing and what's going on in your organization and otherwise. Sure. Well, uh, yes, I, I think we've seen a paradigm shift and I think we're never going back. Um, that's my, that's my take. Um, so just, you know, speaking for, for our, our company and, and my team, um, we, our plan at least is to come back into the office on a regular basis in January, um, using a hybrid model, a permanent hybrid, um, based on basically two days in the office and three days out. And, um, I, I think we've taken a really thoughtful approach to it. Each of the, uh, Team leaders was asked to get together with their teams and really structure what our model will be going forward and then making sure that it is it works for our customers right our internal customers external customers whatever uh or part of the organization you have to be in uh, and also for, for the members of the team so my team got together i don't know a couple of weeks ago and we, we mapped out what we want to do and we're gonna as a general rule be in the office two days a week we all agreed that we wanted to be in the office together on, on Wednesday for our staff meeting. I have another SLT staff meeting that I'm going to be in for on, on Monday. So those are my two days. Um, and we talked about, well, you know, what about, you know, any of the folks on my team have, have younger families and whatnot? What about leaving early or coming in late to pick up or drop off kids or whatever? Absolutely. Right. It, <laughs> um, you can work just as effectively at home after that, before that, whatever. So eight to five, nine to five, whatever that used to look like, you know, if people choose to do that and if it works well for their schedules, that's fantastic. But I really think that we're going to have to be just recognizing that work can be done anywhere, effectively anywhere. Um, we hire good people who are, you know, self-directed and 
smart and capable. We should let them do their work wherever works best for them. And, you know, I've always thought it was crazy to spend an hour, hour plus on the freeway at night um, going home when if I left, you know, an hour earlier, I could be home in, in 25 minutes. Right. And so those are the types of things. It's, we've just got to rethink what we do and, and why we do it. And so, yes, we will continue to be consumer, you know, customer centric and focused, focused on efficiency and, and making sure that that we are as productive as ever, if not more, but also making sure we're together so we get to see each other and, and have that water cooler time, right? The, the opportunity to get together face-to-face -to -face, uh, in the office setting. I think that's really important. Our team thinks that's really, really important. And I think most people, um, given their druthers of, you know, coming in at all or not would, would, uh, would choose, you know, at least a little bit of human contact <laughs> throughout the week. So I'll stop there. Uh, well, you know, uh, the hybrid model, I agree, I think is likely here to stay. Um, and, um, you know, I, I will admit it took me a little while to be accepting of that. I'm still, I guess, a little old school in terms of wanting people in the office every day and getting a chance to see everyone. And I think also particularly with the business that we're in, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're providing healthcare and it is a personalized service. And so it looks a little strange for in our company, for instance, to have administrators at home. Um, and, you know, to have the clinicians and everyone else uh, at, at their facilities every day. So, you know, we're going to go with the hybrid. Um, I think that um, in the end, that's, that's the right way to go. I think it's a, it's a great satisfier uh, for our employees. Um, I, I am, we are still struggling, I think, to figure out how to deal with the whole productivity issue. Um, and again, I think small shop, easy enough to kind of know whether people are doing their work. Larger shop, much more difficult to know uh, whether folks are actually doing what they need to do um, day in and day out and having the right type of, um, you know, for us as a law department, um, client contact uh, within the organization. And, and so we're still working on how you go about truly measuring that um, and, and knowing that, that that type of work is being done. But I, there's no doubt that allowing my folks to be able to work from home um, a good number of the days of the week uh, has been a huge satisfier. Uh, I, I do feel like certainly during the pandemic, uh, the, the, the more intense portions of the pandemic, we were getting really, really good productivity. Uh, I still think it's going well, although, like I said, now we do have people that are back in the office a few days a week. Um, and, you know, we'll just have to wait and see long term. I think, I think at the end of the day, if anything, we've all learned that you just, you just need to stay flexible. Um, and you know, if you, if you stay flexible and you're, you're keeping your eye on what's going on, you, you, you find ways to check in with your people to make sure that they're doing well. Um, you, you find ways to check in with your clients to make sure that they're getting what they need. Um, you know, you can make this work. So, uh, so far, so good. So I, I can't help but be a little bit selfish here and maybe talk about kind of how the hybrid model affects talent as well. And I don't know if either one of you have seen this, but Certainly, you know, at Major Lindsay in Africa, we have had a lot of conversations around hybrid, hybrid work, you know, whether clients are offering that, what that looks like, and people have really changed their notion of what, you know, to, to both of your points, sort of what they're comfortable doing or not doing, or, or Dan, you made the great point of an hour on the highway, like you can be, you know, how do you spend your time? And I also think, 
you know, the pandemic, we lost time. And so everybody's time is really valuable now, right? And we want to figure out how to use it in the best way. And it's, it's been a really interesting conversation because 18 months ago, we never would have been having these kinds of conversations, right? And it's, it's just amazing to me how much it's, it's changed in all areas. And then Earl, to your point, also, though, too, we have a lot of clients who say, well, you know, a large part of our workforce doesn't have a choice and has to be here. So how do we manage that along with those that can are, you know, able are able to work from home. So it, it's, it's, it's been interesting for sure. Um, I guess this sort of maybe a, a last kind of topic here is very broad. I think we've all talked about different ways that are, well, you both have talked about, you know, how we're delivering healthcare, the model, how it's changed. I mean, are there are there sort of any big takeaways, any big trends that you would say are coming out of this? Things that people should should be thinking about. I mean, and maybe we've touched on all of them. I I, I don't know. It just seems like we're in, we're shifting a little bit, right? Um, but we're not quite where we need to be. And there, it also seems like it's it's maybe not not all perfect yet, right? To say the least. You know, healthcare is such a big gnarly beast right and it's got so many facets the financing of it is completely bizarre right and if you set up a business you'd, you'd never in your wildest dreams come up you know organize it the way healthcare is organized in terms of how it how it's financed and, and paid for uh and people don't even know the cost of the things that they're buying right um so i i, I do think there there will be you know, a continued focus on innovation and disruption where, where things can be disrupted. It's not for lack of trying. I think a lot of uh, maybe unconventional players have thrown their hand, hat into the ring. Um, I think there was the effort, you know, a while back with some pretty big names um, that, that said they were going to come in and solve healthcare and they threw up their hands after a couple of months. So um, I, I don't know where it, it's all going to go, but I, I do think there will be a continued focus on value-based reimbursement, on um, uh, finding the right tool to, to provide deliver, you know, and deliver uh, patient care. Earl mentioned earlier, remote patient monitoring. I think there's a lot that's going to happen on there in terms of how that gets paid for, what the value of that is. Um, I think CMS is really going to struggle with that. Um, I think private, you know, third-party payers are going to struggle with that as well. Um, and, and, I, and I think there's definitely an, a, a risk of abuse, right? Um, you know, what, how, how do you appropriately pay the monitor of those activities for the value of whatever they're bringing to the table? Um, so financing, delivery of care, Obviously, I mentioned earlier, you know, um, in life sciences, there's there's a lot going on in terms of, you know, the FDA and regulation, information sharing. Um, uh, you know, there will be pockets of innovation, some more than fat, some faster than others, but there's a lot that's broken and there's a lot that can be, uh, you know, improved upon. So I have no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm going to sit back and, and watch it. Well, not just sit back. I'll, I'll be part of the <laughs> part of the mess. But uh, I'm very curious to see how things go over the next, you know, even even five years. Yeah, well, and then let's face it, that's part of the excitement in terms of doing what we do. We don't we don't completely know where we're going to end up. Uh, we, we generally have an idea of what we'd like to achieve, but we don't know where we're going to end up. And I, I think we're going to we're just going to continue to see, you know, more more of the same, but but more continued 
uh, attempts to grow uh, amongst healthcare systems and other healthcare providers. And, and in, in some cases, they'll be looking to grow uh, together rather than, uh, you know, really creating uh, competing infrastructures. Um, I do think we're going to see uh, more focus on the, uh, what I call the health of the community or overall health of the community. And I think, I think you're going to see some of that. I think you're going to see focus on, you know, this whole concept of social determinants of health. Uh, because I, I think it's very, very difficult to solve one issue without, quite frankly, dealing with a myriad of issues. And um, I, I, I think people have realized that. And so I think that's going to be part of part of the dialogue and part of the discussion as we go forward. Um, we talked about technology, and I think, yeah, yes, we're going to continue to see technology be a big, big part of, um, of, of the delivery of healthcare. Um, and, you know, I think the other piece is really, you know, as we're able to gather more data and as honestly, quite frankly, as more people seem to be moving towards one particular vendor for EMRs, uh, I think it's going to be the data piece is going to be critical. And, and I, I think that you're going to see a big push to, to be able to analyze um, uh, that data in ways that, that, again, will hopefully tie back to improving the overall health community of uh, the, the overall health of, uh, of your communities. So um, that's, I mean, that's really it, but there's a lot in there and, and there's a lot of work um, that needs to be done. And there's really no one entity or individual, you know, we talked about that honest broker earlier um, that's helping shape all of this. I know the government has, has um, inserted itself and, you know, we've got a number of transformation projects that are out there. And I think, you know, they're a big player in helping shape, but, but there are also a lot of private uh, companies that are out there that are very well capitalized um, that are having a big, big say in what goes on. And then we also talked about the large number of not-for-profit healthcare systems that sit out there that, that have their own model that they're pursuing. So um, there's there's just going to be a lot of forward. Well, what, we'll just say this. There'll be a lot of activity. My hope <laughs> is, is that it truly is forward movement, uh, but there will be a lot of activity over the next five years. I suspect it won't be linear, though. I think those there's going to be some advances, and there's going to be some uh-ohs along the way. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Does this also mean a lot more need for lawyers? Like when you kept talking about the privacy piece, I just kept thinking to myself, "Wow, like that's such a huge component." And does that mean that legal departments are going to get larger because there's going to be these bigger needs as you bring in more technology? I mean, I don't know. I I really don't know because I'm not the expert in the field, but. Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out. I just I just think, again, you know, it's just like with any other workforce, right? You just have to remain flexible in terms of what is needed and what's not needed. I mean, we might solve the whole privacy thing fairly quickly, um, and then, then you might not need as much um, on that front. But, you know, with all the other emerging technologies that are out there, we may need more people that, that understand that technology and are able to, to work. Uh, within the various systems to help make sure that it gets applied appropriately. So, I, again, who, I, I wish I had that crystal ball because it would it would have. I wish I had it 20 years ago. It would have helped me tremendously. But uh, um, we'll just see. We'll just see where it goes. I mean, the fun, some of the fun of it is not really knowing exactly where you're going to end up. Well, and Earl, I guess I'll I'll say I don't know. I've been thinking about the, the blurring of you know tech and consumer and and traditional healthcare. Uh, companies and and I, I was thinking about you know us as healthcare lawyers like you know there's a lot of non-traditional healthcare lawyers out there now too who are with relatively newer entrants into the healthcare space so mm -hmm. just curious what what a healthcare lawyer will even be in, in you know in five or ten years that's right 
well, we better we better figure that out because we're going to practice. <laughs> <it>, so <laughs> we don't want to we don't want to have them get ahead of us, right? <laughs> I have no doubt that you two will always be at the forefront. So, um, listen, this has been so fantastic. I am just super grateful again to Dan and Earl for for doing this. So, thank you so much. You two are just fantastic general counsels here in Chicago, and so thrilled that that we had the chance to talk with you. So. Thank you. This has been great. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Take Thanks, care. Earl. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.